All right. Good to see you on this Thursday uh, edition of our Journey Through Scripture. Uh, my name is Philip Thomas, pastor of Journey here in Elgin, Texas, and uh, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapters 13 through 18 today. So Ezekiel 13 through 18. Um, these are very, very interesting. I encourage you to, to read uh, through these. I'll hit some of the, the highlights, um, but we are at that time. Remember, Ezekiel is a, is, is a, a prophet. Um, he's uh, prophesying uh, in uh, captivity, so he, he is uh, in Babylon. Um, this is kind of the in-between time but from when King Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, took the initial group um, out of Jerusalem, brought them to captivity. That's where you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you also had Daniel. So they've all been in captivity now a while, um, but it's getting close to when he is going to go back. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar will go back and destroy Jerusalem uh, because uh, remember the uh, uh, king, we talked uh, quite a bit about this uh, on Tuesday, uh, the king Zedekiah um, is making alliances with Egypt and stuff like that. He's trying to to push back and thinking he's doing what is right. Um, but uh, eventually Jerusalem's just going to be destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, Ezekiel is is sharing that really uplifting message, right? But, but uh, really reminding the people of what the prophets have been saying for years and years and years. And uh, there's, there's some really interesting things here. The, it starts off in chapter 13, and it's uh, talking about the foolish prophets, the prophets who are telling the people that it's going to be okay, um, that everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. God is going to restore uh, everything and basically indicating that Babylon is going to be destroyed uh, and everything will be made right again. Um, and these really... Uh, speak to me a lot. And I, I've, I've really thought a lot about these, uh, these passages. Um, in verse 2 of uh, chapter 13, says, The Son of Man prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. So the false prophets are those who are prophesying out of their own heart. And, and that's something that all of us have to be uh, very aware of and careful of. Are we um, believing things and, and saying things uh, and attributing them to God because that's what we like to hear? Um, that's because what we've always believed? Um, or is it something that is truly coming from the Lord? Um, it, then it continues, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. All right? This is this is this really spoke. Uh, you have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. What's that? To me, what that is saying is that there were a lot of the prophets um, who were, were saying things that the people wanted to hear, but those prophets weren't preparing the people for the battle that was to come. They weren't preparing the people for what they needed to do. Where were they uh, speaking out 
and telling the people that they were going down a wrong path when they started worshiping the idols of Baal? Um, where were they uh, in those moments telling the people you're going down the wrong path? You're, you're weakening your own wall, right? That the, the, these prophets, they should have been there helping the people strengthen their wall, strengthen their relationship with God so that they would be prepared for the battle. Instead, uh, they, they did not. They hid like foxes. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I, I don't do it as, as much going through this journey through uh, Scripture, but, uh, but you know, my focus has changed quite a bit the last couple of years. Talked a lot more about uh, the spirit of the age and, and the, the spiritual struggle and the spiritual battles that we're in. And I am afraid that uh, too many uh, churches and church leaders uh, and pastors like myself have not, um, have not stood in the gaps of the walls. And, uh, and we have tried to bring encouragement and encourage people to do the right things, but not, uh, actually prepare people for, uh, a, an actual spiritual battle. And, and I, I think that we're here now. Um, and, and it, it's important to, to think about that because there's, there are it, maybe at no other time in history are there more divergent views and messages coming from the Christian church, uh, in today's age. Um, and, and it is, it's vital that we, um, that we seek wisdom from God to know what is true. Um, and I, I strive to do that each and every day. And I, I, I do this podcast and I preach every week with fear and trembling, um, as I desire to speak what the Lord has, has given me. It says, uh, they have envisioned futility and false divination, uh, saying, thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision and have you not spoken false divinations? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and, and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor written in the record of the house of Israel, um, uh, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Uh, verse 10, because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar, <laughs> saying to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding and rain, and great hailstones uh, shall fall, and the stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Um, you know, we can we can easily preach a... Uh, a nice, comforting message about how much God loves you, and that's important. But it, does that prepare us for the storms of life? Does that really prepare us when the walls are attacked? Um, it's much easier and it's much more well-received when we just p preach peace. But what about in those times where there is no peace? Verse 15, thus I will accomplish my wrath on the wall and those who have plastered it with the untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace. 
Right, so there were so many prophets that were just saying Jerusalem is going to survive, uh, Zedekiah is going to uh, save us, um, but that completely went against all that God had been saying to them through the prophets for years and years and years. So, uh, continuing, uh, that's chapter 13, the very end of chapter 13, uh, verse 22 says, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. <laughs> and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice uh, divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So this, again, talking about prophets, this is talking about godly leaders. Um, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked, so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. So what he's saying is that you, you haven't even shared and preached the things that are wicked. So how are the wicked ever going to turn from their wicked ways if they're never taught uh, that uh, what God considers to be wicked? <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, I, I think there's definite parallels to where we are today. Um, you know, we've talked about that in Isaiah where good is called evil and evil is called good. That is what Ezekiel is, is, uh, is also talking about here. Uh, chapter 14 really goes into idolatry. Remember, that's one of the biggest things that, um, uh, the prophets have harped on and God has harped on that the people need to, uh, to put their trust in him and him alone and not to follow uh, other gods. Um, the, verse 12 says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, cut off man uh, and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God, right? So, so he's saying even these great heroes of the faith, um, you know, they, they would be okay, right? They would be delivered because of their own righteousness, um, but their own righteousness, righteousness would not be enough to save the nation, right? That, that, uh, when a land, when a nation, uh, practices persistent unfaithfulness, even the most godly among them uh, may not be able to hold back uh, the, the tides of God. Um, continue, it says, uh, verse 22, um, verse 21, how much more shall it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem to cut off man and beast from it? Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you and they will see their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem. So again, even as he's t this harsh, difficult, uh, uh, talks and what God is is proclaiming, he's always reminding them that there is going to be a remnant, that he will be faithful. Uh, chapter 15 um, uses a, a vine, uh, the a image of a vine, 
um, that, uh, that, that grows and then burns from both sides. Um, and basically that that is Jerusalem. So I encourage you to read uh, chapter 15. It's very short. It says, then you shall know that I am the Lord that w- when I set my face against them, thus I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. Then, uh, um, chapter 16 um, uh, talk, starts off, it uses the uh, illustration of, uh, of a child being born, of a young girl becoming a woman, um, and how God loved this child, even though this child was kind of an outcast. So it's, it's making that, that this child is Israel, is the, the people of God. And so while there was nothing special about them, in fact, they were kind of discarded from the beginning, God loved them. Says a uh, uh, verse uh, uh, eight. When I passed by you again, looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you, covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. Says the Lord. This is a beautiful uh, kind of metaphor that's going on here. Um, and then in uh, verse. 14, uh, 13, 14 says, you were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. So how he brought Israel to royalty. Uh, your fame went out among the nations because of your be- beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed upon you, says the Lord. And then verse 15, things change. It says, but you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. So he brings this outcast of a child, brings this child up, lavishes them with, uh, with, with fame and prestige and um, makes them a prominent uh, place in the world. And then this person uh, who is uh, an illustration of Israel becomes, decides she's just going to be a harlot. And, uh, and so starting in verse 15, it, it just talks about that. It says, uh, verse 20, moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and, and these you sacrificed them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you would have slain my children and offered them up um, by causing them to pass through the fire? And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, struggling in your blood. Right, so the, the harlot is turning its back on God, just as Israel turned its back on God and went after other gods, basically went after their own desires, made themselves God. That, that is the danger. That, that is what ultimately it comes down to when we talk about worshiping an idol is that we, we, worship ourselves by reaching after something other than God. Um, Verse 30, how degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. Um, And then (laughs) this is is crazy. What a great example. says, you erected your shrine at the head of every road, built your high place in every street, yet you were not like a harlot. Because you scorned payment. <laughs> so basically, you're worse than a prostitute. At least a prostitute got paid for giving themselves up. But you just gave yourself up for free. It says you are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. M- men make payments to all the harlots, but you make your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you from uh, all around your harlotry. You are the opposite of the other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot and that you gave payment, but no payment was given. 
Uh, therefore, you are the os- uh, the opposite. So it basically saying you just gave yourself over freely. You invited this upon you. Um, and you didn't even get paid for it. You were just taken advantage of uh, in your own stupidity. Um, then it, it talks about how uh, Jerusalem or the in the, the metaphor that she will be abused and she will be uh, that there, there will be uh, will be taken advantage of. Um, verse 40, they shall also bring up an assembly against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. Um, and it goes on to talk about basically what's going to be happening to Jerusalem. Um, you know, it, it talks about how they're more wicked than Sodom and Samaria. Um, you know, of all the, the abominations, uh, that the harlot has, uh, has participated in. But then we have verse 60 it says, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways uh, and and be ashamed. Uh, Verse 62, and I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all that you have done, says the Lord God. You know, sometimes we, we talk a lot about, oh, don't, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel shame. Well, you know what? We should be ashamed of our sin. We should be ashamed whenever we choose to act the harlot, to reject God. But when we repent, when we come back upon, uh, back to God, he, his atonement will be given to us and he can take away our shame. But this idea that we should just not feel shame is ridiculous Uh, because without that, you're you're never going to adjust your behavior. If you just always justify um, every action that you take and never feel shame, then why would you change it? Right. That we should feel shame whenever we have chosen to go our own way. That feeling, uh, is a, uh, it's a check engine light that you're, you're going down the wrong path. And so now it is time to repent and to come back to God and he will receive you. Uh, but we have to make that turn. Uh, we can't just expect him, uh, to, to, uh, to save us. Uh, when we are not adjusting our behavior, when we're not changing our ways, and when we're not living righteously. Um, verse uh, Chapter 17 um, talks about the eagles and the vine. You can reach that. It's it, This is talking specifically about how the people have been taken to exile, and now they're going to be taken again when Jerusalem is destroyed. Um, it talks about how uh, King uh, Zedekiah uh, is ridiculous to make a uh, packed with Egypt that he is going against what God wants. Um, ver, ver, uh, chapter 18 um, uh, talks about uh, uh, um, Proverbs and talks about men and their, their son, that the sons will not be held accountable if they act righteously. It's, it really is talks about kind of individual accountability, that if you act righteously, um, then, then you will live. If you act wickedly, then you will not. And I encourage you to read that. Verse 19 of chapter, uh, of, of chapter 18, um, is, really powerful. Um, it says, yet you should say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall sur- surely live. 
The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Right? The, our actions, the way we live, makes a difference. We will be held accountable. I know we don't like to hear that, but it is the truth. Uh, verse 21, but if a wicked man, and remember, this is the God of the Old Testament, which we, many of us Christians, we don't like the God of the Old Testament because he's this mean God and judgmental and all this stuff. But if a wicked man turns from his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his transgressions, which he has committed, shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Man, that shockingly sounds like New Testament language. Maybe because it's the same God. He, does, he doesn't desire people to follow a wicked path, but he requires that we change. He requires that our behavior starts to, to imitate him. Our behavior should be righteous living, right? One of the dangers of our Christian message is that we say, well, God just forgives you of your sin if you just ask Jesus into your heart. True. But if your behavior doesn't start to be righteous, that's a problem. That means you haven't, that means you probably haven't truly accepted him uh, for, for the God that he truly is. Because he is a God who desires and, in fact, mandates that our behavior begin to change, right? Yes, we, we won't be perfect. Yes, he will continue to forgive us. But we should strive to live righteous lives. Um, and, and we see that all the way back in the, the Old, Old Testament. Uh, verse 30, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways says the Lord God, repent, turn from your transgression so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. We need to always be looking at how we're living our life. Because there's many times it's easy to get off track, but we can always turn and live. I encourage you to look at your life. Are you living the righteous life or are you starting to maybe follow some of the ways of the world and begin upholding ideas that actually lead to wickedness? Always know that God is a God who desires for us to live the righteous life to live, to turn, and to live for him. All right, hope I get to see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. We will be in Ezekiel chapters 20 through 24. All right, we'll see you on Tuesday.